Hey, this is Jeremy Isaacs, lead pastor of Generations Church, where we want to live like it matters. For more information about our church, you can visit us at g.church. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Thanks again for listening. Hey, I'm glad that you're here. I am thankful that you have chosen to spend part of your Sunday here with us at Generations Church. Welcome to summer. It's June. Some of you are like, I work a job. I don't have kids in school. It just feels like May or April or March. But for some of you, your family, you got kids in school, you know, like it, the, the rhythm kind of changes. Like there's some things that have happened over the last few weeks as they finished school or things were happening. And so you are aware that like the rhythm's just different. And so I'm glad that you're here. Welcome to those of you that are watching online. I think we've opened some beach campuses today. So we're excited about those folks joining us. But uh, it's a really great day. There's a couple things you heard about over the last few minutes that are important. You need to be aware of those. Put those on your calendar. We want you to be a part of those things. But one of the really special things I wanted to let you know about today is that in the lobby today, you can pick up our new SOAP guides. And you're like, what is that? Uh, Well, SOAP is a way that we read the Bible. It just helps you to kind of engage the scriptures and engage God's word. So SOAP stands for Scripture, Observation, Application, and prayer. So if you're trying to figure out, like, how do I read the Bible? Like, I don't even know where to start. Well, we're trying to help you. So these SOAP guides will take you through the next four months. It's not necessarily in order. We'll jump from one book to the next once you finish it. But each day, you just read the scripture that's, that's given to, to you for that day. You look at maybe one or two verses out of that that just jump out to you. And maybe you journal those. You write those out. You put those in your phone or a device, like one scripture. You would kind of write that down. Make an observation. Like, and as I read, here's what this says to me. Here's what I'm thinking. I wonder why he said that, or, or, or I wonder why that happened the way that it did. Then you make an application. Like, here's how I'm going to apply what I just read. And then maybe you write out a short prayer. Lord, help me to live this out. Help me to understand this better. And so we'd love for you to pick up a soap guide today. You can pick those up at the information center on your way out. It's, it's just a great way for you to engage God's word, which is something that we value here. We believe that as we're trying to figure out how to live life and do life, that we shouldn't do that on our own, that we can take God's word and apply that wisdom into the way that we live and honor God. And the other thing that I want to let you know about today is today is Pentecost Sunday. So you're like, I don't know what that means. Well, this is, as you look back through uh, kind of the history of, of God's people and the history of the way that the rhythm of the calendar works, this comes after Easter. And so this is a place where we look back to the events of Acts chapter 2. We see where the Spirit of God fell on the people of God that were waiting in anticipation for what God may do in and through them. And so when we look to Acts chapter 2, what you need to know about us as a church is that we believe in the, the events that took place in Acts 2, but not just as historical events. We believe that they were the beginning of the way that God began to interact with his people kind of post-Jesus on the earth. And so we believe in the power of Pentecost. We believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so we come to Pentecost Sunday. It gives us an opportunity just to reflect on that. I encourage you, even beyond your soap guide, maybe go and read the events of Acts chapter 2 and see if it may not give you a new appreciation for all that God desires to do in and through our lives. Well, I am pumped. All of that stuff's out of the way to begin today this brand new series. I, the last few weeks have been a really special time for our church. We've looked at a lot of different things. We completed a series, uh, and our, you've heard from a, a number of our staff members, our staff pastors, as they've uh, shared God's word. You heard last week from some of the folks within our church on Communicator Sunday. And I'm just thankful to be a part of a church where there's a variety of gifts, teaching and preaching gifts among the people that are a part of our church. And if you haven't listened, you haven't been a part of those services, I encourage you to go back to our podcast or our YouTube channel and catch up on some of those things because uh, it really has been a really special, unique season of ministry over the last several weeks. And and what you need to know is that Corey and I are in this for the long haul. My wife, Corey, and I, our plan is to pastor you for the next 25 years or so. 
which is over a thousand Sundays. And so I'm thankful for seasons where we can utilize a number of people within our church to help share the preaching and teaching load. It helps me to stay healthy, but it also helps to develop the gifts of God in the people of our church. And so I'm thankful for that. But today we start a brand new series called Summer Stories. And as we look to these summer stories, we're actually just going to dig in for the next seven or eight weeks to the stories that Jesus told, these stories that are often referred to as parables in the gospel. Now, the word parables, it definitely is a word that we derive from scripture, but it's also a literary word. Merriam-Webster defines parables as a simple story that teaches a moral lesson, a simple story that teaches a moral lesson. And so when we think about parables, what we're going to do is we're going to take all summer to look at the stories that Jesus told to learn the lessons that Jesus wanted us to learn. And so in the Gospels, which are those first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there are approximately, and I say approximate because you do have some overlap and some repeating, but there's 39 parables that we often look to as these stories that came out of those Gospel accounts. Most of them come from Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, the lowest number of parables as it relates to the Gospels come out of the book of John. But when we look at these stories, what we're talking about is that Jesus would be walking around, doing ministry, doing miracles, teaching in the synagogues, engaging people, healing the sick. And then it seems like as he did that, he would just kind of say, hey, you know what? The kingdom of heaven is like, and then he would give us an example or a simile or a metaphor of something that connects to the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, related to something that they would see in everyday life. Now, when you and I read this, Pastor Carson and I were talking about this a week or two ago. When you and I read these stories, they might seem out of place to some of us. If he says to us, hey, the kingdom of heaven's like a field. Well, unless you farm for a living, maybe that seems like something that you wouldn't necessarily engage. But a lot of times when he was referencing something specific in a parable, he was talking to them and he was referencing something that was like nearby. He was talking about something that they could see with their eyes, or maybe they had just walked past, or this would have been something that was a part of their everyday life. And so for us, it's very similar to what we do when we have our annual At The Movies sermon series. We use something, a story, a Hollywood movie or television show. It would be like if I was trying to help unpack a gospel truth, and I were to say to you something like, hey, the kingdom of heaven is like your cell phone. Take your cell phone out. and The kingdom of heaven is like this, or give you something that connects to your everyday, how you live, Monday through Friday. This is what Jesus would do as he tried to give them these parables, these stories, for them to understand larger truth. So today we're going to start in Matthew chapter 18. If you got a Bible, I'd love for you to go there with me to Matthew 18. If you don't have a Bible, but you got a device, you can go there most all of the scriptures today will be on the screen, but I want you to bring your Bible all summer long so you can kind of jot some notes in the margin or maybe on your phone you can kind of click that verse and copy and paste it to a note that you're making. This is in Matthew chapter 18. This is often referred to as the parable of the unforgiving servant. And so we begin reading together in verse 23. It says this, Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that had, he had to be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found out one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. 
Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. And this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Now, as we read this passage, there's a lot of different things that we could focus on in our time together today, but this isn't just one of those standalone parables. This isn't one of those where they're just kind of happening to be walking down the road and walking by, and all of a sudden, like out of nowhere, Jesus just gives them this story, this illustration. All of Matthew 18, which we're actually going to read a few more verses in a few minutes, but all of Matthew 18 really points to this idea, unpacks this thought. And so he's, he's talking to them in the context of even conversation with some of his disciples. And as a part of that conversation, he tells them this story to help unpack this larger truth. But the first thing that I want you to see here is that we have to recognize all of the pieces that Jesus used to tell this story. So there's some numbers that are included here. He said, you've got this master or this king, and he brings in one of his servants, and his servant owes him 10,000 bags of gold. Now, your, your translation of scripture, depending on what you're reading, may say 10,000 talents. But if we look at 10,000 bags of gold, you're like, man, that seems like a lot, right? So what is 10,000 bags of gold in the present day? Well, it was commonly understood when you read through the Bible that if you see a bag of gold reference or even a talent, that this would have been approximately one year's wages, one year's wages. So you can kind of think in your mind, like, what do I make in a year? Like, that's my talent. That's my bag of gold. I went and did some research this week and found that the median household income here in Canton is approximately $61,000 a year. So I don't know if you make a lot more than that, a lot less than that, but 61000 according to all the various searches that I did, that's the median annual income here in the Canton area. So if we just said that's one year's wages, that's one bag of gold, that's one talent, then this man stands before the king and he owes him 10,000 times one year's wages. If you're quick with math or you've got your calculator open, what that tells us is that this man's standing before the king and he owes him $610 million. That's a lot. Right? That's a lot. If you owed me $610 million, I'd probably want you to pay me back. I, it's like not pocket change, right? So the king's like, hey, you got to pay me back. You got to give me the $610 million that you owe me. And the guy's like, hey, listen, be patient. I'll pay it back. Well, let me just pause right there and talk about, isn't that just like us? Like this humongous debt, this humongous thing. But it's like, hey, if you'll just be patient, I'll figure out a plan. I will come up with a solution because the king, the servant in this story was going to take this man and all of his family and put him into prison until he could pay back all of the various debts that he owed. So he got $610 million approximately just in our current math and our current community. And so this guy's begging for his life, begging for him to be forgiven the debt. And so finally the king, the master here, he says, okay, listen, I'm actually going to forgive you. You don't have to pay me back. You're free. And so he leaves. He walks out the door. This also is just like us. I'm so thankful Jesus used this story. He walks out the door and he runs across a guy who owes him some money. Now, the number that's used here is that he owes him approximately 100 silver coins. Again, you might be thinking, hey, that's a lot. 100 silver coins, that seems like a lot. So what does that equate to in the present day? Well, that's approximately $750. 
This, we're not talking about quarters. Like it does have value. It is a little bit of money. Like maybe you don't owe me $610 million, But I mean, if you owe me $750, like we're going to talk about it. I'm probably going to negotiate with you for like Mexican restaurant gift cards or someone be like, hey, I'll take this in increments. You know, you can pay me back in seven tequilas gift cards. That's totally fine. Like we're going to figure it'll take us a year or two, but eventually we're going to eat enough fajitas to square up. Like it's going to happen. $750 is not nothing, but it sure is not $610 million, right? So this guy walks out. He finds a guy who owes him $750. Bucks, and the guy says, hey, it, it's, it's interesting here. There's just incredible literary parallels here. He says the exact same words that the first guy said. Please be patient. I'll pay it all back. Like, just give me some time. I'll work a little overtime. I'll, I'll take a few extra shifts. We'll do a yard sale. Like, we're going to come up with a way to pay you back the hundred silver coins that I owe you. But the first guy says, no way. And he throws him in jail for the $750 that he owes him, even though he had just been forgiven a $610 million debt. Now, you can take all those numbers and put them aside because that's not really the important part of the story. $610 million is math that I did. I just equated it to our annual income. In other parts of the world, this story would mean something a little different. But it's still the idea that the debt that he owed, the debt that was forgiven, was something that he actually couldn't pay. It was something that he would have had to spend more than his lifetime, 10,000 years of his life approximately. Jesus is using such an outrageous number to prove to us as we listen to this story that you and I have been forgiven a debt that we can't pay on our own. There is no way that we could repay the debt that we owe to God. Now, maybe you don't like to view it that way, but as we unpack this story a little more, what you're going to understand is that Jesus is not telling us a literal story here. He is telling us a story to unpack a larger truth. And you and I owe a debt that we can't pay. God sent his only son, Jesus, to come and to live on the earth, to be this blameless sacrifice to pay the price, the $610 million debt of our sin. Such an outrageous cost for the things that we have done that the master, the king, is saying to us, I have forgiven you of something you cannot actually repay, even if I were patient enough for you to try to come up with a plan. This is the larger part of the truth of this first part of the story. And yet, what do you and I often do? We play the part of the forgiven guy who walks out and holds a grudge and refuses forgiveness and refuses grace to someone who does us wrong. To someone who owes us, really in, in the parallel, pocket change in comparison to what God has extended to us. The moral of this story is not how much the servant owed. The moral of this story is how much the servant was forgiven. And so as we look at this truth, it, it shows up in a number of places in the Gospels. Pastor Carson referenced a little earlier in our service this idea that Jesus taught us how to pray. And if you go to Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 15, it says this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. That one stings a little bit. It's hard for us to recognize that this could possibly be true in the economy of God. This idea that 
Forgiving us our debts is what we seek so often. But forgiving the indebtedness of others in our own lives is something that we tend to not be as quick to do. But what we are taught as we are taught to pray is that if we forgive others, our Father will forgive us. And if we do not forgive others, he does not forgive us. Ouch. Ouch. I want you to think about every person who's ever done you wrong. I want you to think about everybody that's ever said a cross word, a mean thing, anybody who's ever lied, anybody who's ever cheated, anybody who's ever stolen from you. What if every bit of forgiveness that you need is tied to the forgiveness that you extend to them? Ouch. And I recognize that as you think about that, as you're trying to process that, perhaps you've already had that thought. No, that's not in the Bible. It's not in the Bible I've got. Or maybe if it's in the Bible, like he doesn't actually expect me to do that. That, That's one of those things that seems so outlandish, so difficult, that surely God, a God who loves me, would not ask me to do that. But can I just remind all of us that even if it's hard, it may also be true. And in this instance, it is so hard that we may have to spend our entire lives trying to wrap our minds around this great truth. But if we couch it in the way that Jesus tries to help us see it in Matthew 18, in this summer story, in this parable, it is not about the debt that other people owe to us. It is focusing on the debt that we have been forgiven. That he actually extends to us grace that we do not deserve, mercy that we do not deserve, that we've never, ever done anything to stand and say, hey, I am owed this, I am due this. No, no, no. He is gracious and forgiving, and loving, and kind to us. And that is what is required of us as followers of Jesus Christ. As I was thinking about today, I was looking at a lot of different resources. I ran across a story. I'm going to read the entire story as it was presented. This is a story about Corey Ten Boone. Perhaps you know that name from school. Maybe you've read a number of other resources about her. This is the idea of this Holocaust survivor from Holland. This is, this is the story that I ran across. This is from her perspective. So it was in a church in Munich where I was speaking in 1947 that I saw him. A balding, heavyset man in a gray overcoat. A brown felt hat clutched between his hands. One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat, the next a blue uniform and a visored cap with its skull and crossbones. Memories of the concentration camp came back with a rush the huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment of skin. Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland, and this man had been a guard at the concentration camp where we were sent. Now he was in front of me, hand thrust out, A fine message, young woman, how good it is to know that as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. It was the first time since my release that I had been face to face with one of my captors and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned the concentration camp, Ravensbrück, in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard there. But since that time, he went on, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things that I did there, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well. Again, the hand came out, will you forgive me? And I stood there, and I could not. 
Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I'd ever had to do. For I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition, that we forgive those who have injured us. If we do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus said, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. Still, I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is an act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder. It raced down my arm. It sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried, with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. What a powerful story of forgiveness. And it's easy to read a parable story from Christ about a servant who owes $600 million and is owed 750 bucks. It might be easy to hear a story from a Holocaust survivor of Holland and think, well, that's good for them. That's good for her. But you don't know. You don't know my story. You don't know my pain. You don't know what I've walked through. And let me assure you, I don't mean to trivialize or minimize anything you've ever walked through. I'm not saying it will happen in a moment. I'm not saying it should happen before you walk out that door. But I am saying that I cannot choose which parts of Scripture apply to me. They all apply. And as I unpack the truth of Scripture, I would ask all of us to come to some agreement on this one truth. That we are asked to forgive those who trespass against us. That's what we're asked to do. So how do we do it? If you drop back in Matthew 18... Verses 15 through 17 give us a process. They help us to understand how we go about this unthinkable, difficult idea of forgiving those who trespass against us. This is what it says in verses 15 through 17. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. This idea of a Gentile or tax collector would mean you're giving him over to himself. You're done with him. He's outside the bounds of the church and the people of God. So there's a process here. You go first to the person who's done you wrong. It's hard. It's difficult. I can't say I've always done it for sure. But the idea here is that Jesus lays out for us a process that's when we face something difficult like this, that the weight of our hurt and our pain, that we should go to that person rather than going to someone else. Why? Because by going to someone else, we are bringing them into our pain. We're bringing them into our hurt. We're involving someone who didn't do it and who can't fix it. So what do we do? We go to that person. Now, that doesn't mean you shouldn't have a trusted friend or ally. 
Someone who will encourage you, pray for you, let you practice what you need to say on them. But they should be pushing you to live this out biblically. And so you go to this person and you say, hey, here's, here's what I feel. Here's what I think you did. I, 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 I'm asking you to forgive me of any part that I played in this, but I want to forgive you. And you, you lay that out and you see what their response would be. If they push you away, if they don't own their portion of what's taken place, then that's not the end of it. What's laid out for us is that we go back and we grab one or two others. These, these shouldn't necessarily be strangers. If you and this other person who's done something against you are in relationship, you bring other people that are a part of that relationship. Somebody in your G group, somebody on the job, kind of this comes and it feels a little bit like mediation. It feels like there's a third party that help us kind of stay focused on what we're talking about and making sure that it's not the emotions that are driving the way, but it's actually working towards some type of productive reconciliation. This passage says, in the end, what we hope is that we gain our brother or sister back. We're not trying to win the argument. We're trying to maintain relationship if possible. But if they, if they push you away and push your friends away, those people that you've brought with you, they still don't own their portion of it. It says, then you bring the church. Now, this could look like the whole church, but maybe this looks like community. Again, Pastor Carson referenced this earlier. We didn't kind of join up with notes here, but that you bring this community of believers. You bring some folks with you that are in relationship with this other individual. You say, hey, let's, let's kind of talk this out. And if they still push back, then you and I are given permission to be done with that relationship. Hear me today, you do not have to stay in a relationship where someone is okay causing you pain and they won't own their part of it. You don't have to stay in that. Scripture gives you the obvious out here. It doesn't mean that we take relationships lightly. It doesn't mean that we just enter into them and pull out of them at a whim and on a moment's notice. But it does say, hey, if you do your best, you do your part, you try to operate biblically to maintain relationship and to provide for reconciliation, you do everything that you can to make it right. You own your part. And that person doesn't want to have anything to do with reconciliation and restoration and forgiveness. You don't have to stay there. You turn them over as if they were a Gentile tax collector, someone outside the community of faith pursuing a relationship with God. But you still got to let it go. You can't hold on to that hurt and that pain because it's going to continue to harm you. It's going to continue to cause you great pain beyond that moment. There is a process to seek forgiveness and reconciliation. And in Matthew 18, I told you, this is a part of a larger conversation. Peter, I love Peter in the story. Peter's always asking the question that you and I would ask. He's, he's playing the part we're playing in this story. He's looking at Jesus, hearing Jesus talk about forgiveness. He's like, all right, I got you. I got you. Okay, so I'm supposed to forgive. Okay, I got you, Jesus. So how many times do I forgive him? Seven? That seems like a lot. That's a lot. I mean, that's a big number. They did me wrong, seven. I'm gonna forgive them seven times. That's enough, Jesus, right? I get to check the box. And Jesus says, what about 70 times seven? You're like, okay, you can do the math. 490 times, that's the limit? No, no, no. Like 10,000 bags of gold. Jesus is using an outrageous number to help us understand that forgiveness that he gives to us is unending. Grace that he extends to us has no limits. 70 times seven just says, listen, in the context of relationship with imperfect humanity, we're going to do one another wrong even if we're not trying to do so. So you just forgive and you work towards reconciliation 
and you work towards health and you work towards healing and you extend the kind of forgiveness that you seek from the Father. This entire chapter unpacks so many great truths for us, but it's hard. It's really, really hard. I texted a group of friends this morning. And in that text group to them, here's what I said. I'm preaching on forgiveness today. And to get to the point where I could stand here in front of you, me and Jesus had a week. Me and Jesus had a week this week. I wrestled with him all week long. Because like you, I've experienced hurt and pain. I've probably experienced more hurt in the last 12 to 18 months than I feel like I've experienced in my whole life combined. And you say, well, poor you. I know. I don't know your story. You may not know mine. But over the last few years, if if you know anything about me and my personality, one of my greatest frustrations is to feel misunderstood. If you and I disagree about something, we can be okay to disagree. But I hate to be misunderstood, to have my motives questioned. Over the last few years, I've had people like look at me eye to eye and question that I love God. Question that I love you and people that sit in your seats. Say ugly, nasty things about my wife and my children. It's not easy. But this week, me and Jesus, we just wrestled it down. And I have chosen to do a couple of different times through these last several years and at other times in my life and for sure this week so that I could stand up in front of you with every bit of integrity I can muster to say that even when it's hard, we are called to forgive. We give 70, forgive 70 times seven. We forgive $750 worth of debt because we have been forgiven $610 million worth of debt. We could not repay what we owe and yet Jesus says to us, I forgive you. Go and sin no more. He pushes us towards pursuit of him. And this is one of those hard, hard things. And yet it's right. It's right. I said it earlier, and I mean it with all of my heart. I don't know your pain. I don't know what they did to you. I don't know what they said about you. I don't know how, what they stole from you, how much they stole from you. I don't know what parts of your heart still live where they're at. I don't know how much you bled. I would never say to you that it's easy. I would never push you more quickly than the grace of God is working on your heart right now. But I would say to you, you have to take one step today. You got to take one step. You got to say, okay, God. If all I can do today is acknowledge that this may be what you're asking of me, I'll acknowledge that. I can't do it yet. I can't say it yet. But I'll take that first step and say, maybe this is the journey that I've got to be on the next few weeks and months. Maybe you need to talk to a counselor. Maybe you need to talk to a pastor. Maybe you need to pull some people close that can help you to take these steps together. But you and I have been forgiven so much. And we are compelled to forgive much. I'm going to ask you right where you're at, just to bow your head. Close your eyes just for a moment. Nobody's looking around. Just a moment of reflection between you and the Lord. 
Maybe you reflect on the forgiveness that you need to give. Or maybe you reflect on the forgiveness that you have received. But in either instance, don't take it lightly. Don't take it lightly. Every head bowed, every eye closed, just for a moment. If you would say to me, Jeremy, for me, I need my sins to be forgiven. I'm a sinner in need of a savior. I need that $610 million debt that I cannot repay to be forgiven by a God who loved me so much to send his one and only son. If that's you and today you choose to enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ, would you just lift your hand right where you're at? We want to pray for you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. You can put it right down. Thank you so much. Several hands today. And now if you would say to me, Jeremy, for me, I've got someone in my life someone in my past perhaps that I need to forgive I've got to let it go it's still hurting me and I need to let it go if that's you would you lift your hand I want to pray for you today thank you so much thank you so much thank you so much tons of hands today God we love you we love you so much and we thank you for your grace extended to us all that you have forgiven us of a debt we could not repay on our own. And so God, right now, I thank you for those who lifted their hands to acknowledge their need for you to be the Lord and Savior of their life, the forgiver of their sins. God, we thank you that you do that kind of work. You forgive people who seem unforgivable, just like us. You do the unthinkable. Your love is demonstrated through the sacrifice of your son, Jesus Christ. And so God, thank you for the great debt that you paid on our behalf. We celebrate and rejoice for those making that decision today. God, I pray now for every hand that was lifted to say, I've got to forgive somebody. What a tough thing you've asked of us. The pain still hurts. It's still there. We remember it so vividly, perhaps. Maybe it just happened, or maybe it happened years ago. But God, I pray right now for every hand that was lifted that, God, you would give them the grace right now to know that you will walk this journey with them that you will help surround them with people who love them and care for them, and that we will walk this journey together towards forgiveness, perhaps even restoration and reconciliation if it's possible. But if not, we will release them from this debt over our lives because that's what you ask of us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. What a great day to take communion. It's the first Sunday of the month. We always take communion, at least this often. It's a reflection of what we've been talking about right now. In just a moment, our team is going to come and they're going to serve you some elements. They'll pass some trays. And as they do, there's going to be a little bread, kind of cracker, wafer piece there. There'll be a cup of juice. And as they distribute these elements, I want you to hold them in in your hand. They're going to sing a song here. And as you hold them in your hand, I want you to reflect over what we've been talking about today. But in this moment, I don't want you to think about anything anybody has done to you. I only want you to think about the cost of salvation. The things that you and I have done. The forgiveness that we seek or sought. And how God demonstrated his great love to us in this. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When they come and distribute these, hold them in your hand. We'll come back and take communion together. You can come and serve now. Give life, you are love, you bring light to the darkness you give.
close your eyes just for a moment. We're almost done with our time today, but I want us to reflect over what these represent before we take these elements together. Jesus was gathered with his closest followers on the night that he was betrayed. He took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Where we've experienced breaking in our hearts and lives, he experienced it too very real physical sin. So as we take this bread today, let's reflect on the brokenness of Jesus Christ today. Let's take and eat. Said so in the same way he took the cup, said this is the blood of the new covenant. This is the blood that forgives our sins. It pays our debt. But as we take and drink together today, I encourage you to use it as the energy, the fuel, the passion for you to seek reconciliation and forgiveness to those who have done you wrong. Let's take and drink together today. God, we love you. We thank you for our time. We thank you for all that's been said and all that's been done. But all of that is secondary to who you are. Thank you for time together in your presence. I pray that all that we have experienced today, the fullness of who you are, that, Lord, it would carry us into this week and that we would rest in the forgiveness that you give to us and that we would actively seek to forgive those who have hurt us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening. If today's message was an encouragement to you, we invite you to share it with your friends and family. Maybe subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It just helps us spread the word about what God's doing here at Generations Church. For more information about the church, visit us at g.church. Have a great day, and God bless.